Good morning. How are y'all doing? Hope everybody had a great Turkey Day. Good Thanksgiving. And uh, scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter three. If you got your Bibles, you can follow along there. And um, I don't know if it'll be on the screen, but uh, Luke chapter three is the story of John the Baptist. And um, we are starting today a new series called "What Are You Waiting For?" And um, the reason we're doing it is because we're in the season of Advent, which has traditionally, for thousands and thousands of years of Christian heritage, uh, been the time in which Christians pause, reflect, and um, look forward to the return of Christ. And when we serve communion or when we talk about our confession of who we are, we always mention the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ has died, He has risen, and that He is coming again which means that as a people who look forward to the return of Christ, that, that we should be shaped by that. It should be reflected in our lives. It should be a part of what we proclaim and how we teach and how we live, that we have a hopeful expectation that one day Jesus will return. And that that means that we are about his work and about his life and, and serving him until that time that he comes back. And uh, so that is what Advent is, is that time of, of looking forward and saying, this is what we're waiting for. This is what we are looking forward to. And we also can also look within our hearts and say, what are we really looking forward to? What are we really actually living for? You know, as we go through life, there's some predictable things that we look forward to. When we are kids, we look forward to the next grade, the next achievement, uh, we look forward to the, the turning of the seasons or the next summer when we're out of school. Uh, as we get older, we look forward to the question of, well, who might we have a relationship for with? Who would we marry? You know, we think about what will our kids be like. You know? uh, as we get a little bit older, we think about our careers. We think about uh, maybe what life will be like once we're successful, if that ever happens. Right? And then uh, we begin to ask the questions of what will life be like when our kids move out? Right? Uh, or then later in life, what's retirement? You know, we have those natural stages and things that we look forward to, and then in the in-between, there's things we look forward to. Like um, we have some younger people on staff, and I was telling them, y'all just don't know what it is to really wait for something. Like you, you don't realize how long I had to wait between Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace, how long that was. It was a long time. Y'all growing up, it was just a moment. You don't know, Right. And uh, that there's that, there's the seasons, there's, there's upcoming events that we look forward to. We all need something to look forward to. But what are, we, what are we waiting for? And I don't know how it is for you, but I, uh, I come from a long line of people that hated to wait for anything. My, my grandfather, if we had to wait in a restaurant longer than two minutes for a table, we were going somewhere else, right? And, um, you know, nothing infuriated the man more than to look at a restaurant and there be empty tables that nobody was sitting at and be told that we had to wait in the waiting area. There was just few things in life that made him angrier. And then, um, you know, I think about if you've ever had to wait with other people, hands down, the person I don't ever want to be stuck in a waiting room with, it's probably my mom. She's really bad at that. And, um, and then there's few things that ever infuriated my father more than having to wait at a traffic light. It just infuriated him, made him so, so angry. And um, when you think about your life, um, you know, waiting is just part of it, uh, and yet it tells us so much. You know, when we have to wait on somebody, it usually means they're more important and that they're 
more successful than we are, right? Uh, that they have more to do and that they're more important. And um, when you go to a restaurant and there's nobody waiting and there's nobody at the table, I don't know about you, but I always ask the question of, were they written up for food poisoning, right? What happened? Why am I not having to wait? Uh, that's, you know, it's just uh, something that we run into all the time. And, uh, but Advent reminds us that we have something that is well worth waiting for and that it means everything. And when I think about people that had to wait in the Bible, uh, one of the ones that came to mind for me was John the Baptist. And we find a little bit about him in our Bibles. Uh, but he is somebody who is probably what I consider to be the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, he comes onto the scene, and he has a message to proclaim, and he's unbelievably successful with it. In fact, when he gives his message which was a message of repentance, of turn your life around, get things right with God. It says in the scriptures that all of Jerusalem, everybody came out to hear him and they wanted to be baptized. And so let's look at that passage. It's found in Luke chapter 3 and talk a little bit more about what it says. It says, in the 15th year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea and Herod was ruler, over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Aturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanthus was ruler over Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. All that to say, this is when it happened. Right? Okay. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as was written in the scroll, the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places will be made smooth. All humanity will be see God's salvation. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, you children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, what should we do? He answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has, who has none. And whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, What about us? What should we do? He answered, Don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. And so John comes onto the scene, and it's a difficult time. A lot of things were unrest. People were occupied by Rome, etc., uh, etc. Et it was a rough time. And all of a sudden, John shows up. He preaches this message of repentance. And um, it's remarkable to me the response he gets, because usually the words of repent, which is to turn away from your sins, from your wickedness, and turn back to God, are not normally well-received. Uh, most of the time, when you're receiving a message, you like to hear things like, you're doing great, good job, well done, keep it up, you know, things are going well. And John's message is, quit that, stop, knock it off, don't do that ever again, right? 
and yet he has a powerful response from these people. They hear the message, and they want to receive it, and they come out to be baptized in the river, and John meets them there, and he's calling to them. He's saying, you need to get your heart right. You need to get your heart right. You need to fix things between you and God, and they're all showing up, and it says it's such an overwhelming response that when they show up, John meets them at the river, and he says, hold on, hold on. Is your heart right with God? Are things good between you and God? Because no amount of water is going to fix that. Rebaptize you several hundred times, whatever the case might be. If your heart's not right with God, then it's not going to accomplish what it was supposed to. And so he speaks to them and he says, You know, who, who, who warned you? Who told you? you know, who, who told you these things? Um, and in this particular passage, there's a quotation from Isaiah that John proclaims. He says, A voice crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crook will be made straight, and the rough places made smooth, and all humanity will see God's salvation. And um, it's easy for us to miss the significance of this passage, but what it comes down to is in that time, if you had a king who lived in his royal city, in his home, uh, if he was going to go out and visit the other towns, he would send out messengers. He would send out heralds, people on foot, what have you. And they would say, hey, the king is going to come, and you need to prepare, prepare for that to happen. And so not only would you fix up your city or spruce up your town, but you would also be responsible for making sure that the road in between you and his city were set right, that things were good. And what would that involve? You know, you'd remove some brush. You'd make sure that there weren't anything that were going to stop him from getting to your town, stop him from getting to your city. And uh, roads back then, not so great, right? Uh, maybe a couple of ruts where the wagon wheels were, maybe a path here and there, not something, anything good. And so you would do your work to make sure that things were clear. And in this particular case, it's, it's way more dramatic than, than anything you might expect. It says what? This is not just to, to make the path a little better. It says every valley will need to be filled up. And any mountains or hills that would be in the way or we would need that to build better roads, we're going we're gonna to do that as well. And it says all humanity will see God's salvation, that this is such a great thing, it's such a powerful thing that we need to do everything in our power to make sure that it happens. And so he quotes that, and then he goes on, he says, then John says to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, you children of snakes, or you brood of vipers, however you like to say it, who warned you escape from the angry judgment that is to come soon, produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives, and don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. And so, like I said, his message is, is basically one of repentance. And I love that, that line that's there, the axe is already at the root. And it's John pushing and telling us, you know, he's saying it's a, it's a central matter, it's a key matter, it's a heart of the matter saying it goes all the way to the root. It's not about just surface changes. It's not about simply changing our behavior for a little while. He's saying it goes all the way to the root, to the key, to the, the center of who we are. And he's saying that is where we need to find that place of repentance. Uh, and he goes on to explain, and he says, you know, not only is it a, a matter of the heart, 
but there's practical matters as well. You know, so oftentimes when you talk to people about what is the salvation, what is the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, they usually fall in the two realms. They say, you know, it's a, it's a personal matter. It's a heart matter. It's between me and God. Or they say something like, it's a social matter. We need to feed the, the hungry. We need to clothe the naked. We need to take care of the prisoners. It's a, it's a social matter. And instead, when John proclaims it, when Jesus makes it clear, he says it's a matter of both, that the, the shape of our hearts, the nature of our hearts, should also result in us doing the things that God has called us to do for our neighbors and for our world. And um, when the people have that change of heart, when they repent, when they want to get back on track with God, uh, they ask some simple questions that you and I probably need to ask as well. And he says, what, what should we do? You know, how should we respond? And he answers them, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none. Whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And I always like, read it like, even tax collectors, you know, like even the IRS showed up and said, uh, what should we do? He said, collect no more than, than you ought to collect. Soldiers asked, what should we do? He answered, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. So when we think about that, you know, it's, it's a practical matter. Not only is it a change of our hearts, of giving over of our lives to Christ, but also the realization that there are things that we can be doing for our neighbors, things that we can do to help the poor and the needy. And that's what John called his people to, and that's the call of Christians during this season of Advent and beyond as well. Now, what does that have to do with waiting? Well, in our particular time, you know, we're, we're looking at situations in our world that are desperately in need of people that will do the practical things. And we are certainly a people that need to have our hearts changed and everything like that. But when we think about uh, what we are called to do, um, it's called to be expectant and look forward that not only will our work make a difference, but also ultimately God is the one that will set things right in the future. So, what are you waiting for? What are you longing for? What are you sighing for? It was just uh, amazing to me to think about what John was able to accomplish. You, know, you, you look at the world back then and the time now, it's very similar. You have a lot of people that don't think they need God. You know, there's kind of a smugness to their life, like, you know, I have a job, I have an income, I, my health's pretty good, so I really don't depend on God for anything. You know, kind of a smugness or self-righteousness of thinking, you know, if, if God needs something, God can let me know. Until then, I'm going to take care of me and mine. So what are you waiting for? What are you longing for? What are you hoping for? It's not an easy thing to do, to wait and to continue to be faithful until Christ's return, but it's what we're called to do. Probably my favorite story of waiting in the Old Testament is the one of Abraham and, and Sarah. And God speaks to Abraham and says, there's going to come a time where your descendants are so numerous that they're like the stars in the sky or the sands on the beach. That many. And um, when you read into Abraham's story, you say, well, that's just crazy. They, they indicate one of my favorite lines in the Bible. It says, well, how old was Abraham? Good as dead, you know. Can you imagine him filling out a questionnaire? Age, good as dead, you know. Um, and 
you know, they're well beyond childbearing years. His wife Sarah and him, however, are called to faithfully wait until God's promise is complete in their lives. And it's always so amazing to me that they are even close to faithful on that matter. I mean, Sarah laughs. She giggles at the idea. And yet, uh, when they get to it, they know this is what God wants, and yet they have to wait for it. And Sarah um, gets to a place where she's like, I'm sick of waiting for this, and so why don't we just kind of hurry things along? Why don't we just move things along? And says, why don't we go check on Hagar and your servant, and just you go have a kid with her. And Abraham, being Abraham, says something to the effect of, okay, and goes and does that. And they have a kid, they have Ishmael, and then um, Sarah comes to the conclusion, she says, you know, that seemed like a good idea at the time, but not so much anymore. Is it okay with you if I make her life miserable? And Abraham, being Abraham, says, okay, right? And ends up with Hagar and Ishmael having to be exiled. You know, it's a horrible situation for them, and all because they refused to wait for what God was going to ultimately do in their lives. And when you and I think about waiting, I just encourage you to think about that, to, to think about the fact that God's purposes and God's plans and, and what God is bringing about in the kingdom is so far better than much of what we try and accomplish and what we try and do. And that rather than getting to the places where we're frustrated or angry or we're trying to short-circuit or speed things up in our lives, that we wait with expectation and with a humble hope of what Christ will do in the future and with Christ's return. I was, uh, I was amazed. I read an article not too long ago. It was about the uh, streaming service online, uh, Netflix. And they said that Netflix had um, gotten a lot of requests from people who were asking for the ability to have a movie be condensed, right? That rather than having to watch the entire movie, because we apparently don't have time to do that, um, that it would condense the slow scenes in the movie, right? Now, first off, when I thought of that, I was like, there's some Coster movies that needed that, right? There's Wyatt Earp needed that feature, right? And that, but at the same time, it's like, if we don't have the time to enjoy what's before us and what we're doing, then, then maybe we should be doing something else. And the season of Advent is saying, you know, even if God stretches out the time between now and his return even farther than we expect, it's going to be so worth it, so amazingly worth it to see the kingdom of God, to see our Lord and Savior's return and the hopeful expectation of what that means for the poor and the needy and the, the people that are in desperate situations in our world, to know that they have a Savior that's worth waiting for, who will set things right, is amazing to me. So, what are you waiting for? I was uh, thinking about the sermon, and there was a, another thing I was looking at, and they just said, you know, the season of Advent is, is like a red light, right? You know, there's times in our life where God very clearly tells us to stop, to pause, to reflect, and to get our hearts right with Him. There's, there's times in their life is like that. We just are called to stop and to pause and to reflect and to ask, what are we doing that needs to change? 
And then you all know, you know, red means stop, yellow means, no, it does not mean go faster, right? It means be cautious, you know? And then there's, there's times in our life where we get the green light to go help, to go make a difference, to be people who are working in the kingdom of God. And uh, I don't know where it is that God has you in this time, but I know the time between now and Christmas is an excellent time for you to focus on that and to ask yourself that question of how are things between you and God. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Father, it is to you that we rejoice and that we look to. It is just amazing that we are a people that have such a great hope and a great promise in the future that we aren't just meant to live for today and to uh, only simply enjoy what is in the here and now, but rather to have a hope and expectation of your return. So, Lord, we pray, and as we wait, we know that you will be with us. In Christ's name we